Starring Bela Day in... But, Ma, that's my favorite movie. Oh, well, all right. But don't you spend too much time in front of that TV. Do you hear me? Yes, Ma. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to my podcast. But, Ma, that's my favorite movie. And I am your host, Bela Day. Now, if you're new to this podcast, let me tell you how it works. I grew up in the blockbuster era where it was fun to go rent movies. It was a literal pastime. You had to be there. So I am excited to share with you the many movies I have seen when I was younger and the ones I've seen throughout my years. Now, whether you're hearing about a movie for the first time or going down memory lane, my job is to bring you two movies that fit into a different theme each episode. You should also know there will be multiple parts to majority of these themes. Now, even though the movies I discuss will more than likely be older, when I tell you the summary, I don't spoil the ending just in case you've never heard of it and do want to go ahead and watch it. So, you're in for a treat today, which I hope will keep you coming back for more. Now, today's episode is titled, But Ma, That's My Favorite Animated Movie. Now, before we get into the movies, let's do some house cleaning first. I want to let you know about my social media and my website. I'm available on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So please follow any of the pages where you will get a sneak peek about upcoming episodes, which I do with a game called Guess the Movie Slash Theme. My website is... But Ma, that's my favorite movie.com. You can write reviews, give movie or theme suggestions, and more. All of the handles to the social media and link to the website are in the show notes slash description box below. Make sure if you're loving the episodes to give us a review on the Apple Podcasts app or on my website. And if you do, I'll give you a shout out on one of my episodes. So don't be shy, guys. I would love to hear from you. All right, let's go ahead and get into this theme. So the title is pretty self-explanatory. We're just going to be talking about some animated movies that I enjoy. And just like normal, we're going to be talking about some throwbacks. And if you are new to this podcast, it's kind of a retro podcast. I think that's really where the whole theme of where my podcast is coming from um, with like the title of it, the podcast art. I really wanted to go for a retro theme because to be honest, I just kind of throw it back. I don't really talk about modern stuff, which I may start including some newer movies that may come out but it just depends because I still have so many older movies that I still haven't even gotten to touch yet so we shall see and don't forget if you have any particular movie you would like me to talk about on here or a certain theme you would like me to do and me choose movies within that theme then go ahead and hit me up on my website I also have my email in the description box below or any of my social medias. You can send me a DM. All right, well, let's go ahead and get into these movies. So let's go ahead and start with our first one. Lights, 
camera action hey luca get sykes he knows that reef better than anybody i want to know all about this guy i want to know what he does i want to know where he eats i want to know where he sleeps he pops a gill i want to know about it who is the shark slayer so that quote is by don lino who is voiced by robert de niro and the first movie we're going to be discussing is shark tale do you remember shark tale well if you don't i'm gonna tell you about it and if you do remember shark tale then we're just gonna go ahead and refresh your memory this movie is before it's time And I'm going to explain that in just a bit, but let's go ahead and just go over the information about the movie. So this movie was released October 1st, 2004. You heard me right, October 1st, 2004. So now we're in 2022. This year, this movie is actually going to be 18 years old. Can you believe the early 2000s is 18 years ago? It's insane because it feels like, oh, the early 2000s, that was just like five, four years ago. Now it's over a decade ago and it just, it blows my freaking mind every time I realize it. Now the writers of this movie are Michael J. Wilson and he also wrote Ice Age 1 and 2. And then we have Rob Letterman who wrote uh, Monsters vs. Aliens. The director is Bebo... Bergeron not sure if I pronounced that right but um he also directed The Road to El Dorado and Flushed Away then we have Vicky Jensen who directed the first Shrek and then lastly also one of the writers he directed as well Rob Letterman and he directed Pokemon Detective Pikachu and then the cast we have Robert De Niro, who plays Don Lino, and he's known for Cape Fear and Raging Bull. We have Will Smith, who plays Oscar, and, you know, we know him from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the TV show, and The Pursuit of Happiness, which I talked about in a Father's Day episode, along with Men in Black. We have Renee Zellweger, who plays Angie, and she was in Chicago in Bridget Jones' Diary. Then we have Angelina Jolie, who does the voice of Lola. She was in Girl Interrupted and Maleficent. We have Jack Black, who plays Lenny. He was in School of Rock and Nacho Libre. And I thought this was super interesting, but we have the Martin Scorsese, who does the voice for Sykes. And he um, directed movies like Taxi Driver and Goodfellas, who that also had Robert De Niro. Looking at this cast, just the names, visually seeing the faces, you would be like, this is such a interesting bunch of people. Like, you would honestly never think these people would blend together well, in my opinion. And of course, all of them do a voice because it's an animation. But yeah, this is a very, very interesting bunch but it worked. It really, really worked. And to me, this movie is still a classic. It's still a good story. It's still entertaining. And I think this is definitely a movie that we should still be showing, 
you know, kids today because it actually has a very good lesson. Hence, as to why I said earlier that this movie is before its time because it really is. So let's go ahead and get into the summary. So there is a hook in the ocean with a worm attached to it. And the worm is very scared because it ends up seeing a shark approaching it. But unexpectedly, another shark appears. And this shark is actually really sweet because it begins to untie the worm so it can be free. You can tell the shark has completely different instincts than a normal shark. A normal shark would have saw that worm and just ate it or chowed down on it. But no, not this shark. And this shark is named Lenny. And the other shark that we had saw first, his name is Frankie. It turns out that these two sharks are brothers and they're the complete opposite of each other. So whenever Frankie catches up to Lenny, he asks him, what are you doing? And of course, Lenny doesn't want to want to reveal that he let the worm go. And so he's like, oh, I got you these flowers. And so pretty much Frankie slaps them away and he's like, whatever, dude. And so they end up going on their way. Then all of a sudden we see this city that looks like a sea version of New York. And you know how in New York they have that jumbotron or that big screen in Times Square. Well, they have that same thing. And we see this fish appear on there who looks to be like a reporter. And her name is Katie Current, which is a play on the actual reporter Katie Current. And so she announces that the sharks are gone. So pretty much the city ends up filling up with various fish that are continuing their daily lives because you can tell this is the routine whenever sharks are in the vicinity they hide so they do not get eaten and we end up hearing from Katie that there are reports about an uprise in sharks coming to the reef and so the question she poses is who is going to be the hero to stop the sharks from coming because when the sharks are there, they're not able to live their lives. Then we end up meeting Oscar, who is a larger than life character. And he's the kind of guy that just has so much personality. You can tell he's just a really fun guy to be around. And we end up going with him to work. But before he goes to work, he's playing around on this billboard. And you think it's his house, but it's actually a billboard with like this mansion on it. And he's pretending to be on like MTV Cribs. But he ends up getting made fun of by these local little kids who are basically like, we know this isn't your house and just, you know, goofing around with them. Oscar eventually ends up going to work and he realizes when he gets there that he was clocked in by one of the employees named Angie. And Angie actually has a crush on him, but Oscar's like completely oblivious to it. And so he just sees her as a friend, which is disappointing to her. But, you know, she just kind of goes along with it because she, she's still able to be around him. Now, Oscar is someone who is also trying to make a quick buck. Oscar is trying to become somebody by either making lots of money or gaining some type of popularity for whatever reason. So he's into just doing stuff fast which is very ahead of its time like I said before because now we live in a generation where 
kids aren't really wanting to work their way up to something. They're wanting to get viral. They're wanting to get seen and do something that's just going to blow them up. So they get popularity, they get deals, so on and so forth. But no one is really trying to climb up the ladder. They want to already be up top. Now, Oscar gets called into his boss's Sykes office. And Sykes basically tells him that all of the money that he's loaned him, which equals up to 5,000 clams, Oscar has to pay him back. Because pretty much Sykes has been his little go-to person to get loans for all of these different ideas that he's had throughout the years. And so, or not years, I think it's been like some months. And so he's like, hey, I got to pay the sharks because they're paying the sharks. Uh, Sykes has to pay the sharks to basically like protect him. So he doesn't get eaten or his, you know, establishment doesn't get um, ruined. And so he has to make sure he has money to pay them. So at this point, you know, his head is barely above water and he needs his money back. And he tells him he has 24 hours to do it. Angie being the helpful person that she is, she ends up helping him by giving him a pearl, I believe from her grandmother. And it's actually worth the amount that Oscar needs. So Oscar gets the money and he meets up with Sykes at the horse track. Oscar being Oscar, he has every intention of giving the money straight to Sykes, but he ends up overhearing someone saying that the race is rigged and that the winner is going to be this horse named Lucky Something. And so with that information, Oscar then thinks that it will be a great idea to bet all of the money he has on that one particular horse. And when he does that, of course, Sykes finds out. And at first he's very upset because he's like, once again, you're being irresponsible with money and, you know, just being impulsive. But Oscar tries to reassure him that, hey, this horse is a winner. It's going to win. And then not only are you going to have the five grand, but the money's going to double. So since Sykes really doesn't have a choice at this point, he's like, man, you better hope that this horse wins because if he loses that money again, I mean, that's really just going to put Sykes in a really bad place. So at first, the horse looks like it's going to be a winner until he loses and he gets so close to the finish line, but he doesn't make it. So Sykes then says, hey, he tells his henchmen, go ahead and take Oscar to the bottom of the ocean and basically kind of like do away with him because he's like, you're no help to me. You can't even give me the money back that I loaned you. You're done. So his two henchmen who are uh, jellyfish, they take him down to the bottom of the ocean. They tie him up and they're kind of just lollygagging while he's just tied up there. Meanwhile, Lenny is being forced to act on his natural or what are supposed to be his natural instincts by his brother because his dad pretty much saw Lenny's ways and he was like, you need to be like a shark, like every other shark. And he, cause he noticed that Lenny doesn't like to eat shrimp. He doesn't like to eat living things. So it's almost like he's like a vegetarian. And of course, sharks are known for eating other fishes and things like that. So Lenny and Frankie, well, Frankie's on a mission to really teach Lenny to be the shark that he's supposed to be. 
and they end up coming across Oscar. And of course, Lenny being Lenny, he is trying to let Oscar go because he doesn't want to eat him. And he tries to come up with this plan like, I'm going to make it look like I'm eating you, but I'm not. But, you know, while I'm doing this, I want you to, you know, get away. Oscar doesn't listen. And Frankie ends up noticing that Lenny didn't actually eat Oscar. And so then he's like, man, I'm going to finish what you started. And so as Frankie is charging towards Oscar, he ends up getting hit by an anchor. And when he gets hit by the anchor, he actually ends up dying. And this upsets Lenny because he's like, oh my God, you know, what am I going to tell my dad? Like my brother's dead. Like I will never forgive myself for this. And so he ends up running away. Oscar's left there. And it looks like from the perspective of the jellyfish who come out from hiding that Oscar has killed the shark. And so then this turns into a big thing because basically everyone in the city is under the impression that Oscar killed a shark, which looks very good for Oscar because currently they have been overtaken or been ran off because of sharks. And like I told you in the beginning, the uprise of them. So now they're like, they finally get a hero that will be able to help them. So Oscar becomes super popular. He's finally becoming the somebody that he's always wanted to be. But it comes with a price because everyone's going to expect for him to actually kill sharks. But what ends up happening is Lenny doesn't go back home because when he tries to go back home, he overhears his father basically praising Frankie like, oh my God, Frankie was so perfect. He was the perfect son. And then kind of, you know, down talking Lenny but not like in a super negative way but just like you know Lenny wasn't like a Frankie and so this causes Lenny to actually run back to where Oscar was and they end up creating this bond where Lenny is there to help Oscar look good and to keep his reputation going to further the lie so referring back to when I said that this movie is before its time What I mean is the fact of how Lenny was different. Lenny wasn't like the other sharks. And it really reminded me of someone coming out of the closet. You know, you know, you, you have that one person who you could tell they're much different. They're not like everyone else. And it ends up turning out that's what they are. And so I felt as though this movie was teaching the lesson of acceptance which in 2004, you know, people weren't as open about being gay, especially now, because now we're in an age where there are people who are transgender and now we are starting to accept that. And we're starting to see it on television. We're starting to see them at award shows. We're starting to see them, you know, in movies and TV shows and all of that. And so I felt like this movie was really ahead of its time in that sense. And then also with the Oscar character, he was sort of ahead of his time. Because, yeah, we've always had those people who try to find those quick, rich schemes to try to, you know, jump up the ladder as fast as they can. And that's really relevant to today because that's how a lot of kids think. Because now we're on this 
whole kick of becoming viral and that's a lot of the younger generation's goals to say hey instead of me you know my first job being at mcdonald's or my first job being at a grocery store i want my first job to be an influencer like that's the top job or that's the the dream job for this younger generation that's what they look up to be so Let's go ahead and get into the uh, fun facts information, the behind the scenes information. Okay, so the original title for the movie was Shark Slayer, but it was changed to Shark Tale about a year before release because uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg thought the title might scare families away. So he was thinking Shark Tale would sound a lot more family friendly, promotional friendly to families. All right, uh, then we have Don Lino tell Sykes that they have worked together for a long time. In real life, like I mentioned before, Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese have worked together multiple times since the 70s. That is a long, long relationship. Um, so most notably, the movies were Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, Cape Fear, Casino, and The Irishman. And The Irishman came out a couple years ago. I think it's so lovely whenever you see actors and directors who always work together. Um, it's always a treat because I feel as though sometimes you don't have a lot of people who have this bond and continuously work together. And so the fact that they've known each other, you know, that long is insane. It's almost like Robert De Niro is Martin Scorsese's muse. Like he's like, I'm going to use you in all of my movies because he knows what type of movies that he's going to make. And he just has Robert there that, you know, he just, you know, it's like the cherry on top. All right. So then we have that. This is actually the first DreamWorks animation movie that featured no humans. And I think that's interesting because, you know, Sometimes in animations, you know, we have a mixture. Sometimes you just have the animals. Sometimes you just have the humans. But I guess under their umbrella, this was the first one. Okay, so then we have, this was Will Smith's only animated movie until Spies in Disguise in 2019 and Strange World in 2022. Well, it looks like he has a movie coming out called Strange World. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's a big gap. Uh, what, 15 years between there? So Will Smith has always been a very, to me, a diverse actor. Now, sometimes, don't get me wrong, it's kind of like he's playing himself sometimes, but at the same time, he, he does have standout roles where you're like, okay, you know. You know it's going to be a good movie when Will Smith is in it. All right, and the last thing we have in the UK version, KT Current is voiced by TV presenter journalist Fiona Phillips. So they actually changed the voice for that character for that particular release. All right, well, we're done with that movie. Let's go ahead and get into the next one. Lights, camera, action. Making up a song about Coraline. She's a peach, she's a doll, she's a pal of mine. She's a cute as a button and the eyes of everyone who's ever laid their eyes on Coraline. When she comes around exploring, mom and I will never, ever make it boring. Our eyes will always be on Coraline. All right, so that little jingle is by the 
other father. And the next movie we're going to be discussing is Coraline. Okay, I'm very excited to talk about this movie because for some reason it's kind of been heavy on my mind and I really wanted to refresh on it, rewatch it, and it's just as good as I remembered it to be. All right, so this movie was released February 6, 2009. So that means that um, this movie, it actually just turned 13 years old. Oh my God, I cannot believe this movie is over a decade old. That is insane. All right, it actually is based on a book that's written by Neil Gaiman. I hope I'm saying that right. And he also wrote American Gods and Good Omens. And those were actually both adapted into a TV series. So he is known for his works to become picked up and turned into a live action medium, which is very cool. It is directed and actually written by Henry Selick who actually directed Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach. And it's funny because when we think of Nightmare Before Christmas, we think of Tim Burton, you know, who was the creator of, if I'm not mistaken, the actual characters and the aesthetic of the movie, but it was directed by Henry. All right. And the cast that we have here, we have Dakota Fanning, who does the voice for Coraline Jones. She was in War of the Worlds and I'm Sam. And when I think of War of the Worlds, I remember going to see that at the movies. It was me and my dad and my sister. So that's kind of like a core memory. Uh, then we have Terry Hatcher, who plays Mel Jones. She was in Tomorrow Never Dies, The 007, and in the Desperate Housewives show. If you see her face, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Because when I think of her, I think of Desperate Housewives, even though I've never watched that series. But I'm sure it's interesting. And maybe I'll end up coming around to watching it one day. Um, and then last, we have Keith David, who does the voice of the cat. And he was in there something about Mary, which I talked about in a previous episode and Princess and the Frog. So let's go ahead and get into the summary of this movie. Um, So a family has just moved into the Pink Palace house and Coraline, a little girl from the family, goes exploring. And she's actually on a mission to find this well, but she ends up encountering a cat and a boy named YB. Now, YB shows her where the well is along with giving her knowledge about it and just like how deep and far down it is. Now, YB shows her, and I'm so sorry, my dog was snoring in the background, but anywho, all right, so... YB mentions that his grandmother actually owns the house that... Coraline's family is staying in and he even tells her how normally she doesn't rent to any family that has kids and he's surprised that they actually did this time. Now Coraline she isn't very impressed by YB and she's actually kind of annoyed by him but the next day she ends up getting a visit from YB and he gives her this doll and he says this is a doll that my grandmother had and the doll actually looks just like Coraline even down to the raincoat and the boots and the hair which Coraline looks unique so the doll looks unique to her and during that day Coraline is trying to interact with her parents but they're very busy with work 
and pretty much try to brush her off and try to get her to do something else instead of bothering them so they can get done what they need. After pestering her dad, he actually suggests that she writes down the number of windows and doors in the house. So Coraline ends up doing it and she comes across this small door, which she actually gets her mom who reluctantly finds the key to open it for her. But beyond the small door is just a brick wall. Now that night while in bed, Coraline hears and sees a mouse run from under her bed. So she ends up following the mouse who takes her to the small door. But this time when the doors open, there's actually this tunnel. So it's an actual pathway to somewhere else. She doesn't know where, but she's curious and she decides to crawl through it. And she ends up in a duplicate house of hers. So it's like her house, but different in a way. And so she sees what looks like her mom in the kitchen, but she knows it's not her mom because she has button eyes and she meets the mom who's cooking and she tells her like, Hey, go get your dad. Cause the food's ready. When she goes to the dad, you know, he's more spunky. He's more cheerful. He has humor, but he also has button eyes as well. And they call themselves like basically the other parents, but individually like the other mom and the other dad. Now, um, the parents actually enjoy being with Coraline, which is the complete opposite of how her real parents are. And the other mom ends up cooking this home cooked meal that is super yummy, super fresh. And the other dad, he's, he has this sense of humor, you know, he's fun, lighthearted, it's just a completely different experience than what she's been having with her own parents. Like she's enjoying it, but it's weirding her out at the same time. And she tells them that she's going to go to bed. And so they lead her to her bedroom in this house, which is actually much more decorated and bright. And, you know, it's like a room any girl would like to be in. So Coraline goes to sleep. Next day she wakes up. And she's actually in her own bed in her actual room. And she tries to tell her mom about her dream saying, wow, it felt so real. And I had all this food and, you know, dad was like this and you were like that and so on and so forth. And the mom is pretty much just like brushing her off. And she actually recommends that she goes to the neighbors to tell them about her dreams. Now, mind you, this house is almost like an apartment. Um, because it's a like the palace, so it's it's this huge house, but it's actually split up between three tenants. It's her family, uh, it's these two older actresses. They have one part, and then there's this, mm, how'd you say, like this circus enthusiast. That's what I'm gonna name him. Um, but anywho, so she finds this package that is actually for one of the neighbors and she goes to that neighbor's apartment and tries to deliver the package but they're not there until he all of a sudden pops up out of nowhere because um, he's almost like this acrobat and so he calls himself the amazing Bobinski and during their conversation at one point he tells her that the mice told her to not go through this little door now, mind you, Coraline knows all about that door. She's actually been through it before. And then when she meets the actresses, 
they read her future with tea leaves and Miss Spinks tells her that she's actually in danger. Then we end up encountering YB again and he tells Coraline that he's actually never been allowed in the pink palace because his grandmother said her twin was taken when they lived there previously. So we have like all of these different like ominous type of warnings since she has gone through that door. So the next night... Coraline actually puts out cheese because she's hoping the mice will come again. And of course it does. And it leads her to the tunnel. Now she enters into the other side, but this time she gets to see the garden. Now her parents are actually gardeners and they're writing a book about it. And that's what they were actually working on. But whenever she goes to this garden, she actually sees that it is made out of her face and Basically, Coraline is getting the life that she's always wanted, but in this duplicate world. And it's almost too good to be true. And it is. So she notices that whenever she goes back home, of course, it's different. It's not as fun. It's boring. It's bland. And she begins to miss the other home. Now, this place caters to her. She enjoys it. And she does continue going but she will soon realize that it actually will come with a price. Now, this movie is very like, how would you say it? Like it has that Tim Burton type of style to it. And, you know, it's not your typical child animation, okay? Like this movie versus Shark Tale, two different movies. Um, They are, they look different, style is different. And respectfully, I love me some Shark Tale. It is such a good movie. It actually has a bigger lesson in it than I had even realized before. Now, what I enjoy about this movie, Coraline, is how it is darker. I love a good dark-esque movie. Um, And it's special and unique in its own way. And also, this is one of those movies that when I watch it and the movie is ending, like I know we're getting to like the last scene, the credits are about to roll. I don't want to leave this world. I almost want to see what else there is to discover or to learn about this world. And whenever I'm watching those type of movies, I really, really love that feeling And I think we should almost get that feeling from any movie that we enjoy because when you get submersed into it and you enjoy it so much that you don't want to leave, then they did their job by bringing you in, giving you almost like a place in this world to be able to enjoy it with the characters. And this is a movie that gives me that type of experience. All right, well, let's go ahead and get into the behind the scenes information slash some fun facts. So uh, the first one we have here, over 130 sets were built across 52 different stages at the studios, spanning 183,000 square feet. The 52 different stages were the most ever deployed for a stop motion animated feature. That is a lot of sets. And a lot goes into an animation like it looks, you know, simple on screen, but just the work that they have to put into it is absolutely insane. 
All right, so the next thing we have here is one crew member was hired specifically to knit miniature sweaters and other clothing for the puppet characters using knitting needles almost as thin as human hair. Next, we have that this was the first stop motion animated feature to be shot entirely in 3D. Now, the film was shot over the course of 18 months following two years of pre-production. You know, if you know anything about film, there's multiple stages of the production period. And the fact that it took them two years to prepare is crazy. But, you know, it's more common than you would think. Um, all right. And then the last thing we have is initially the film was going to be live action, which I thought was interesting. And Dakota Fanning was actually going to physically portray Coraline, but it was decided instead to be made into a stop motion animated film. And Fanning was asked if she would still be interested in providing the voice for Coraline. She said, yeah. And she thought it would actually be fun to do. And grew even more excited when she saw what Coraline was going to look like. All right. Well, that is all that I got for that movie. Now, be sure to comment below if you plan on seeing these movies or if you already have seen these movies. Let me know your feedback about either one of them or both. Also, if you have any other behind the scenes info or some corrections on what was said, then comment that as well. Now, before I head out, I want to thank my listeners. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much for coming back. You're a real one, period. And if you're a new listener, thanks for stopping by and giving my podcast a chance. I really appreciate that. Now, don't forget to follow my social media to get information about upcoming episodes. And you know what time it is. The show is over. The credits are rolling. And I will see you at the next show time.